0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. Thanks for tuning in. Today is Vision Sunday 2020. I was looking back through my notes from the past year, and it was on the 29th of September 2019 that we did this before. We preached uh, Vision Sunday, and I was looking back saying, uh, well, what did we say that we would go for? What did we feel God leading us to last year? Of course, you know, there's a big... There's a big gap here, isn't there? Because we didn't see COVID-19 coming. Nobody did, and so uh, that has kind of scuppered some of the plans. But it'd be interesting to see how did we measure up against the things that we felt God lead us to last year. Well, things we said were we would start a site in fish ponds, and we did that. And it was great to have Ash on staff. I think he had just joined our staff. He works for us two days a week. He just joined. Uh, just before the 29th of September last year and we have launched a site in Fishponds. I know that that's with the kind of Covid overshadowed that a bit but you know you're part of Fishponds and you know there's an identity there and God willing we'll be back there before very long. We also said that we would start uh, to push into social action. That's the activities that we do around the city that help often the most marginalized uh, in our city. And so we began, and we have begun Encounter, which is a meeting for those people, a, a shorter service, if you like, that is particularly shaped for people for whom a normal Sunday uh, for us just wouldn't work. And so, and we began that, and Jess Welshman's been leading that, and there's plans even to uh, get back to something of a social distance version of that fairly quickly. We talked a bit about street life, and that's all part of the same push to reach with the gospel to those particular uh, people in our city. We also said we'd be looking for buildings and we have done that uh, through this year, uh, a number of buildings that we've looked at wondering is this the place God has for us? Of course we didn't see, as I've said, we didn't see COVID coming, we didn't see the shutdowns, we didn't see even this latest round of restrictions that we've just been introduced to but nonetheless we did achieve those things and we're very grateful to God for them. We know that all good things come from God and even sometimes things that don't initially look good turn out to be uh, God's blessing and sometimes God shapes us through them even if it's, uh, even if they're bad things. In fact often He does do that. And the reason he does that is because he's a redeeming God. He He's able to take something, as it says in the story of Joseph. uh, Joseph said to his brothers, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. And that is a principle that we understand from all of scripture. Although the enemy would want to get in and spoil and destroy, God is a redeeming God. He steps in and he redeems even the darkest moments and turns them for his glory and for his good And so today we embark on another vision Sunday, vision in the time of COVID. How do we see ahead when the way ahead seems to be all fog and mist? How do we do that? And I want us to help uh, help us to do that this morning. So I'm going to read what is a passage that will be familiar to us from Acts chapter 11 uh, from verse 19 to verse 30. This is the first time we encounter the church in Antioch. So I'm going to go ahead and read that now. Now those who've been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw that what the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great number of people. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted a severe famine that would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each of them was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, Lord Jesus, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us apply this example, these truths, these these men and women who've gone before us. Help us apply the lessons they learned to our own lives. Help these words, these truths to live in us, Lord Jesus, so that the the story of, of our church and our city could be written, saying that we were faithful to what you called us to do. And we ask for your help, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God's given us a vision. It's a vision to help Bristol believe. And we've broken that down into reach and restore and resource. We want to reach every part of this city, of the city of Bristol, with the gospel of the good news of Jesus. And that means every part of the city physically and socially and economically right across the city. Now, you could say, well, why, why such a broad vision? Well, God's gospel compels us to believe that his gospel must go to every corner of not just the city, but of the whole earth. And so we're trying to reach out and we're beginning to, we've begun to do that through the sites in Cotton and in Bradley Stoke and now in Fishponds. And we want to go further to reach the city for Jesus. Then in terms of restoration, we talked a bit about how we've, with our social action, a kind of outreach, we've looked to reach some people who find life's just much more difficult than we usually have experienced. And we want to keep doing that, bringing dignity to those who are hardest hit here in the city and to give ourselves to that end because God has given himself to us. To restore God's kingdom, we want to see the restoration and the resourcing of God's kingdom. We want to see that resourcing go out through prayer, by training leaders, by giving ourselves, our skills, our gifting. And our experience and our finances uh, right across the city and way beyond the city. God's kingdom always starts in a place and then it just breaks out. That's how it works. And for us to be a church which resources others is something we really feel God has put deep within us. How do we do this in an age of COVID-19? How do we do it? Well let's look at the example of this church, or these two churches actually, both. In Antioch and in Jerusalem. Let's see how they did it against the backdrop of their own experience. You see, throughout church history, uh, God's people have known opposition and challenge. Now, even in the midst of dramatic revival, it might surprise you to know that even in the midst of outbreaks of God that would leave us kind of uh, stunned, there is opposition. People speak against these things. That's been true again throughout history. And what Paul does when he speaks to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, he says, Timothy, preach the word, preach Jesus in season and out of season. And you might think, well, what what does that mean? What does preach in season and out of season mean? Well, let me tell you a quick story. During lockdown, we decided, I say we decided, my wife, Cheryl decided that we would plant some tomatoes and we've not really done that for many years. And she dried out some seeds from some supermarket bought tomatoes that we had and she planted them and they grew and we've been enjoying dozens, maybe even hundreds of tomatoes for the last couple of months, which is wonderful. Why did that work? We weren't very skilled at it. Cheryl did a a good job, but it's not like we have you know, a, a lot of experience. Well, it worked because we did it in the right season. And that's why it works. If, if we were to start planting new tomato plants now, every expert in the world, and even our own limited experience, would tell us it's not going to work. It's not the right season. It's an inopportune moment to do it. It just isn't, doesn't make sense. And actually, what Paul does is, Paul says, preach the word in season and out of season. What he's saying is, it's never a bad time, never a bad time to preach. The word is always in season. And so there's a, you know, you're know basically saying all the time, never stop, don't give up. You see, it wasn't all kind of moonlight and roses for these early believers, these believers from Antioch. In fact, it was very difficult. In fact, the challenge for all of them and for others like them was real and intense. And we read about some of them in Hebrews 11. There's a very famous passage that talks about the Hebrews, of, uh, the, the heroes of faith. And what, I'll read a few verses for you. It says this, uh, after it lists a whole load of these heroes. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let's run with perseverance, the rates marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so the writer to the Hebrews says, look at those who've gone before. Consider the witness that they are offering to you. And that doesn't mean that they're kind of watching us in some creepy spiritual way. What it means is their life and faith is a witness to us. It it tells us a story about how they did it, about the faith that they expressed, so that we can learn from them. And so we're going to do that with these believers from Antioch and from Jerusalem. Let's consider the witness of those two churches and how it applies to us. You see, even as these, these believers from, from Jerusalem, which is where everything started, of course, even as we're, they were scattered, uh, the reason for their scattering was persecution and the, the killing of a, just a key young man of Stephen, someone that the church would have known and loved, someone of integrity, a, a rising star, you might say and he was brutally murdered in front of them. And because of that persecution broke out throughout the city, and they, many of them just had to run for their lives. And as they ran for their lives, it says they settled in different parts of the region and beyond, and began to preach the gospel. And immediately as I read this, I think, how did they do it? What was their inner drive, motivation? What drew them? to share the gospel even in the midst of intense persecution. And that's part of the witness that they are to us, part of what we can learn from them. So usually, personally I'm speaking really, if if difficulties arise in my life or in the life of my family, my tendency is to withdraw. It's like, no, I'm not going to, you know, I can't, I haven't got a lot of energy left. I'm using it all kind of on internal things, on family matters and all sorts of stuff. And so I'm, I'm going to do less of these other things. I've got less to reach out with, to be honest. And yet that isn't what happened here. Even though they were scattered and persecuted, life was difficult. They shared Jesus wherever they went. And if we can just get under the skin, under the bonnet of why. What was it about this faith that drew them to do that? We will learn something about how we respond in our time of difficulty and challenge. Jesus, of course, had prepared them well. So they weren't surprised by difficulty or even persecution. Jesus himself, of course, faced all these sort of dangers and he lived among them. He wasn't so separate from them that it's like, well, we don't really know how he lives. They knew exactly how he lived. He lived. They knew the challenges he faced because he did it in the midst of the people. He was right there amongst them. It wasn't in some far off palace or some hotel somewhere where everybody else got on with life. No, he lived amongst them. They knew him. And so he prepared them well. That this, this is what happens when, it, when real goodness breaks out. You should expect persecution and challenge and difficulty because we have an enemy who hates all of those things. Now, some of these, as they were scattered, they were even more courageous. (laughs) Not only did they share, but they shared outside of their own tribe. They shared outside of the Jewish uh, tribe, as it were. And they shared the gospel with non-Jews. We might say in our kind of modern language, they they kind of stepped out of their comfort zone. They started to talk to people that normally they wouldn't associate with. And, And those people suddenly started to believe as well. This is a breakout of God's grace beyond the Jewish nation for which we, of course, are extremely grateful all these years later. And then there was, there was, a, there was a, a sharing, a, a resourcing one of another. So Jerusalem sends Barnabas up to Antioch. They had obviously heard some news uh, of what was going on in Antioch. And so Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, so they sent an encourager. What a thing to do. We heard from James last week, just the importance of encouragement in the life of the church. And they sensed just that, Jerusalem sends a person. That's the resource they had. They sent it up to Jerusalem, sent him up to Jerusalem. It's about 300 miles between these two cities. That's a long way. That's at least a month to get there. And he stayed there for a long, long period of time. Well over a year he stayed. He, they gave something of themselves. And then, of course, we learned that um, Antioch, they gathered money and they sent it back to Jerusalem. So they, 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 whether they had a lot or a little, we don't know, but they what they had, they shared, and that was finance, and they sent that back. So you see a mutual resourcing, one to another. The sharing of finances is something we've been doing a little bit this year. Uh, We managed to send some money out to Mozambique to help with the projects that are happening there in in Nampula. And the challenge of sending that money was considerable. (laughs) I'd just like to thank those who were involved. It was difficult, even in our modern age of money whistling whistling around the world, world, it seems with ease, this was a real challenge to do that. And so times aren't so different, it seems. It took a long time to get that money out there. And and of course, it was a, a long and perilous journey to get those resources back down to Jerusalem. So financial resources were sent back to Jerusalem. And Ju- Jerusalem sent the encouragement of a person of Barnabas up to Antioch. They gave according to their ability. That's what it says right there. And so this, this cloud of witnesses that they tell us this story of a persecuted and oppressed people who per- persevered with their with, with, the, with the very heart of sharing Jesus with those around her, But but listen, the story of what they did is not their most important function. It's not the most uh, compelling thing that we learn from uh, from this reading. But to get under the bonnet, to understand why it really gets to the heart of things. You see, the baton was passed, as it were, to those believers, uh, from the from just the disciples, they, they passed the baton on as they always would do and always should do. They passed the baton of sharing their faith on in the midst of what? In the midst of persecution, lack of resources, personal weakness, practical challenges, problems with travel, communication, famine, it seems, was going to be stalking them. They were familiar with disease and death. The Romans, the Jewish religious authorities, and all those who worshipped other gods were against them. That's the backdrop for them. That's, that's what it was like to live in that time. And yet, Jesus, through them, by the power of the Holy Spirit, changed the world. The whole world changed The things that we enjoy today, the freedoms that we enjoy, many of them have come to us because they persevered in their sharing of Jesus. It's an incredible legacy. They believed in Jesus. And of course, that's an easy thing to say, but there's a lot of content to what that actually means. And let's just look at that for a little while. They knew Jesus was one who, in the truest sense, identified with them. He knew, as we've said, oppression, affliction, and opposition. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. That's what it was like to live in those days. If someone on authority came and said, you're coming with me, you had to go. You were led like a lamb. There was no, you couldn't resist. He knew, Jesus knew unjust judgment. When they 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 brought these trumped up charges against him, Those bringing the charges and the accusations, they couldn't even make their stories agree. And again, that would have been familiar for those people. He was cut off from family and friends forsook him and even betrayed him. He was ultimately punished for the mistakes and the sins of other people. And he was killed and buried, even though he himself was without sin or deceit. They understood that this incredible hero who had loved them, who had healed the sick, fed the poor, lifted the rejected and honored the outcast. They knew that he loved them. They knew it. They felt it. They ultimately and absolutely believed it. And they saw him taken to the cross by corrupt leaders who were only interested in their own reputations and glory. Now we shouldn't be surprised that that's what happened. Why? Because in the face of real pure power and goodness, the world always responds with hatred and rejection. That's how it works. You see, you can't fake news your way out of that kind of glory. You can't. You have to face facts when you see such goodness and grace expressed. You can't gaslight the people in the face of such love and humility. It can't be done. I'll tell you why, because that kind of purity and love exposes the lies and falsities of the charlatans. It always has done. When uh, we lived in London a few years ago, we had a friend who worked in a bank and he, um, he discovered some counterfeit money and he got a big reward for doing so. And we asked him, how did, you, how did you do that? Did they teach you how to recognize counterfeit money? And he said, no, they don't. He said, this is how you do it. You are so familiar with the authentic money that passes through your hands every day, that when the counterfeit comes along, you know the difference. And that's what happened with Jesus. People have got so used to counterfeit holiness, to counterfeit love, to counterfeit religion that when the real thing turned up, all of those structures were blown to pieces and they hated him because of it. But you know what? The people loved him. They saw the truth of it. The crowds, the masses, they saw this kind of love on display and they knew instinctively and because he told them that it was for them. But these early Christians, they knew, they knew something more about Jesus even than that you see they knew he was for them that this almost unthinkable love had been directed towards them indeed he was living inside of them transforming them transforming them by the power of his holy spirit but they knew something else they knew something equal to this love in its ability to transform and motivate they knew that although he had been dead he was now alive they absolutely knew the truth of it. They knew, uh, and it, this is not a metaphor. They knew that they, it wasn't that he lived in their hearts. It wasn't that, you know, kind of, well, yes, in our minds, he is alive. No, they knew that he lived, that death had been conquered. They knew that this final enemy, which stalks behind all the other evils and enemies, had been finally vanquished and that they were included in that victory. They knew it. Absolutely, that's where the motivation came from. They were part of something that was so radical, so incredible, that they had to tell everyone about it. Everything else was stripped away, and they were left with this incredible richness, this incredible pearl, this great price of God's love and power at work in their own lives. Death was beaten, and they knew it. Love had won and they felt the truth of it. They were filled with God's resurrection power and everyone could see it. This was what it meant to be a believer for those early Christians. This is how they did it. So what of our motivation for the course set before us? To reach across Bristol with God's gospel of love and grace to restore the brokenhearted, practically serving the most needy in the city, to resource the expansion of God's kingdom by raising leaders, planting new sites in other places. You might say, well, hang on, haven't we barely got going with fishponds? Yes, but there are more people that need to know this gospel of grace in Bristol. And you know what? There are other cities too. There are other cities like Bristol around the world that need Jesus preached. And some of you will go in the years ahead to plant churches and see that gospel spread abroad to those cities too. We need too to acquire houses and buildings to enable that mission to continue and to release resources to do just that. And yes, all that in an age of COVID. To rise to the challenge, we need the same motivation living in our hearts that those early believers had in theirs, to be convinced of God's love and of God's power, to be filled with his Holy Spirit, that inner enabling of God, the courage, the vitality, the energy, the creativity, the problem-solving ability, the prophetic insights, all those things that the Holy Spirit brings so that we can do these things just as they did them. To know this, that come what may, Jesus is with you. To know it. And not just to know it because it's written somewhere, but to know it to feel it, to experience it, to live the truth of it, to battle for it sometimes, yes, but to emerge confident of his love and care. Now, way back in the beginning of the Bible, God called Abraham and said, you're going to be the father of a great nation. And Abraham initially was called Abraham, and then Jesus, or God rather, changed his name to Abraham. Abraham means exalted father, Abraham, Abraham, means father of a multitude and Abraham and his wife Sarah were without children in fact they couldn't have children and so was this just a horrendous joke a horrible insult to call him the father of a multitude and yet of course we know the story it pans out that he does become just that the father of a nation out of which Jesus ultimately would emerge But even the family that would come from Abraham was not the reward for Abraham and Sarah. And in Genesis 15, God says this, don't be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield. I am your reward. It was God himself that was the reward. It wasn't everything's going to go well for you or the nation will be great. Those things were actually true, but that wasn't what was promised. He said, I'm gonna give you myself. I'm your reward. And those early believers and Abraham himself, he knew that, they knew that. It wasn't that everything's gonna all work out fine in terms of worldly wealth and success. And that may be true, certainly will be true for some, maybe hopefully for many, but that wasn't where the motivation sat. The motivation was that God would give himself To you and that would be his motivation and ours too and it surely is our final reward you know when all this is over and I don't mean COVID I mean our lives we leave everything behind all our successes and failures they are gone and we stand before God with nothing of worldly wealth and what then what then well then he says well done Come and receive your reward. And what is our reward? It's him. It's to be known and to know him. To know that richness of love and power that we can only at the moment reach for and hope for. You see, these early believers, they witnessed not just about their amazing exploits, but about their love. that They were consumed with Jesus. Paul writes in Philippians 3, Whatever were my gains, I count loss for the sake of Christ. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them garbage, rubbish, that I might gain Christ. Brothers and sisters, to do the things, the vision that God's given us, to reach a city, to care for the marginalized, to resource God's kingdom and churches. We need to have that same motivation. That is our vision, our hope, our aim. You see, we may look ahead and see only fog, but if we look up, we see the sun himself. That's what we must do in a time of COVID. Look up and see the sun, receive his love, his power, his assurance, fight for it. Definitely fight for it. Some days I'm fighting for it, but believe that he will lead us through and see his kingdom come in a way that we've only dreamt of up to now. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you put a compelling vision before us to help Bristol believe, to reach and restore and resource, to see buildings come into uh, the church that will resource the helping of those who are marginalised and oppressed to, Lord Jesus, share your gospel abroad. We thank you Lord Jesus there are other cities like Bristol around the world where you're beginning to drop into the hearts of, uh, of folks who are part of this church to say that may be there could it be there and I pray even now as we're praying do that again Lord Jesus and for parts of the city that are, are yet unreached Lord Jesus that sites of City Church would reach with the gospel into those places too but we ask beyond what we would do that our hearts will be blazing with experience and the love of God by the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you even fill us right now? Fill us with your Spirit. We just receive that gift from heaven right now. The enabling of God, the ability to believe, the creativity, the energy, the desire to serve you and love you. Let it come from within. Let us be drawn into it, not driven. Never driven Lord, drawn by the power of the risen Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.